All right. Episode 10. Welcome to Out on an Island. Episode 10. Holy shit. 10 episodes. 10 episodes. We're doing it. We're doing this <laughs> damn thing. <laughs> uh, I'm Al Alicia. <laughs> I'm Deb Casales. <laughs> if you guys are just starting to listen now, uh, that's who we are. Holy shit. Let's talk. Well, let's start with the land acknowledgement. We'd like to acknowledge that we're on native land. Sorry the native land of Hawaii. Yeah, just the native land of the Hawaiian kingdom. <laughs> yeah, if people don't know where we are. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much to cover today so i guess let's start let's start with how are you doing how's how's everything going things are going good i wrapped up final grading for you know one uh university there was like a two-week overlap with starting at another university still interviewing for jobs permanent or whatever job is the next step and uh i don't know things are pretty calm Pretty copacetic, pretty okay. Penelope, my peahen who honked in like, I think it was episode six. She was like very vocal. <laughs> um, she was walking around the yard today. She just went for like a happy jaunt and then like couldn't get back. Like she can, she flew over the fence, but she couldn't fly back over the fence. So I had, she was like honking and I had to go open the gate so that she could get no. back to her home. <laughs> it was very, very cute and like cuddly feeling <laughs> oh good i'm glad that you experienced that <laughs> yeah well i've been staying away from people so things that have been pretty good for me <laughs> good ass idea yeah what's um, going on with you holy shit i have been waiting two days three days now to tell this story on air because one, it's like all encompassing for what we're talking about today, like the topic of our show today. And that is that, you know, we want to take some time today to explain intersectional feminism, the what and the why specifically, because I feel like a lot of people get lost on that. Anyway, we'll go back into that. This fucking story. So I'm ready for it. You've been <laughs> talking about it since like we popped on together and I'm ready. I am a house painter sometimes i don't like to do it anymore uh it's really hard on my body and honestly the whole industry just kind of sucks like environmentally it sucks and there's a lot of weird egos in the construction industry for some reason which is really weird especially when you live in a small town but all of that aside i took this job because a friend of a friend got I don't know what he said was screwed over by a painter and like, yeah, this painter did some pretty shitty work on his house. So I get hired by this dude. I am working down there. And like, I know from the get go that he's maybe kind of a difficult character, but like, uh, you know, and I'm pretty good at letting shit roll off me, but yeah, I literally in the middle of speaking with him got shushed to my face within four inches of my face and he literally said shh stop don't talk and this was in reference to him trying to tell me to do something that i had already done and he did not realize that i had already done so he's trying to explain to me in great detail how to paint this house even though he hired me to paint his house yeah had the wherewithal to get up into my personal space and shush me. And, you know, 
like there's just some fucking rude people in the world and that's not really the part that's upsetting about this story but like what was most upsetting to me is that he invaded my personal space because he did not feel threatened with reciprocation like if i were a man i think that he would have been more afraid that i would have fucking cracked him in the face because who talks to another human being like that so it was especially getting in your face about it too like Oh, oh, dude, my and so like, it's been weird, because like, I, what do you do, you know, so like, my first thought was like, I'm fucking out of here. And then my next thought was, you're halfway into this job, you know, just finish this job. That's what I'm doing. I'm finishing this job with integrity. But like, I've taken to just not speaking to him. Like anything that he says to me now is one word answers. And it's really interesting, the dynamic that's happening now, because it is like, it almost seems like an abusive relationship kind of situation where now he's being overtly friendly (sighs) and being super appreciative for everything, being very, you know what I mean? And then even today, like he came out and like specifically asked me if I was okay. And I said, yeah, dude, I'm good. You know, but like, he can tell that I am clearly upset, but like not enough to address it and to apologize or, I mean, just even to address it. Right. So I, I just like, dude, you know? And so that's like um, pretty much at that minute I texted you and was like, fuck dude, let's do, let's do an explanation of the why in intersectional feminism, this, This week, I mean, not only does it really coincide with everything that's going on in the world, but, or in America, I should say, in the world, but, you know, like, just in general. So, we can jump back into that, though. Is there any current events you want to talk about right now? Yeah, there's a couple uh, Big Island events that I find really, like, disconcerting. And the first one is that Kamehameha Schools, which is, they went through a whole thing thing i think maybe in like 2006 um so they don't receive federal funding they're a they're a k-12 institution that no longer receives federal funding because they prioritize um native hawaiian students over any other students even if they score high enough to pass entrance entrance exams and stuff to go to the school and they they do accept people that are not native hawaiian but they do prioritize like native hawaiian Mm -hmm. kids the Kamehameha schools like operates under like this land trust from the, I think it's the Bernice Pauahi land grant or something like her trust. Right. Mm-hmm. And they own a whole bunch of land on all the different islands. And some of them have schools and other stuff. They're primarily, the school is primarily based on Oahu and the, the school <laughs> wants to build, and I'm going to quote this, a culturally sensitive boutique resort on the Big Island. It doesn't sound so bad until you consider where the school is. They want it to be in Keaho Bay, which also doesn't sound so bad. Like, But I, I think also, yeah, Keaho Bay management plan is opening it up for public comment. And this article got posted after the comment date closed. So it closed April 22nd and we're recording this in May. So it's like, okay. Yeah, geez. 
Yeah. And they want to build it on 29 acres. And like, it just takes away land from people who actually use the land, a big part of the land. Like I've camped out on the public land, you know, on nights where like you can't, where you're not going to drive home, like to the other side of the island at like two yeah, in the morning. Totally. And so a whole bunch of people like, I don't know if they live on the land, whatever. There's like homeless encampments like in the land and they're, they want to take like bay access and stuff. It's kind of crazy. So that's kind of the first thing. They're going to get rid of like some stuff that has been there like forever. Um, and then it will remove like public access. And then they're, yeah, they're taking away access to a cave and a pond and a whole bunch of other stuff to like put up and, this boutique hotel. Yeah, which is for anybody uh, listening who is not familiar with the Big Island of Hawaii, Keahoe is already a massive tourist destination. Keahoe Bay is beautiful. Uh, it's located in Kailua Kona. And what we don't need on this fucking island is another resort. Like the yeah. entire Kona coast of the big island is littered with resorts that have wrongfully bulldozed ar- uh, archaeological lands. They have bulldozed brackish water ecosystems. Um, like the fact that Kamehameha Schools wants to build a boutique resort to me is so ironic because it's like, what? So your students can work there? Because like, why are we, you know what I mean? Like, why are we just putting more hotel jobs out there? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, 28 people or 28,000, 2,800, <laughs> 2,800 <laughs> people have signed a petition, like saying like, please don't build this hotel. Also, the land isn't big enough for the plans that you want. And like, yeah, when we think about how we want to diversify Hawaii's economy, I think the one way every resident doesn't want is more tourism. Unless it's going to be like ecotourism, I don't, I don't see any way in which, you know, like that's, that would, that's like ironic to me with Kamehameha schools, like a boutique hotel. That's really weird. Like I could see like getting on the fat of like agritourism or like ecotourism right now. Well, and that's what they're saying it is. It's going to be a, a boutique hotel, like for ecotourism. But what it like, yeah, I would, I would really like to know what that means though. Cause if ecotourism just means that they're going to have like a native garden on site, then like fuck right off with that. Yeah, um, I agree. Anyway, that, that gets into like my line of work, which like <laughs> we could get into, but we're not going to. Anything else you want to talk about? Um, yeah. So I thought that this coincided in some way with what's going on at Pololu Valley, which is up that way too. It's like more in Javi, but it's on that same like side of the island. And it's like super overpopulated. I mean, like not overpopulated, but it's getting like a lot of tourists. There's a lot of congestion. There's only like, it's, it is a two lane road, but then there's this boulder like that is kind of famous there like Kamehameha King Kamehameha is said to have like carried this boulder and the boulder just kind of like sits on part of the road you know and so that's kind of a a problem Um, and so they want to build like a bigger parking lot and restrooms because it's so popular but like again if you think about what that actually does to like the environment like I, I don't think that's what Pololu Valley needs. 
Yeah, it's worth noting to anybody listening that Polaloo Valley is uh, specifically foot traffic, unlike YPO Valley, which is the more famous of the valleys on the Big Island. The trail, I mean, when it rains, it just gets totally washed out because the foot traffic causes, you know, mud. And the thing that sucks for us locals when, for anybody who is uh, vacationing here, planning on doing so, be aware of your surroundings when you're in a place like this, because like what happens that really sucks is somebody goes on that trail when the weather's less than great and we're on an island, the weather's unpredictable, slips and breaks their leg and then sues the state and the state closes it for everybody, including us, you know, who have grown up with these places being, you know, near and dear to our hearts. And um, yeah, so I mean, that that's like the gnarliest thing about that kind of. Yeah, uh, the valley is owned by a company and the company is looking to sell and they have an asking price of $25 million and there's talks of putting a housing development like in mm. Pololu Valley. Yeah. Which, like, what the fuck? Like, part of what makes that valley so special. I mean, like, YPO Valley has residents, but they're residents that were like they're they're generational pretty much Farmers, residents. Yeah. Like, yeah, I have a I have I had a student that like lived down there. You know, it it's really a special thing if you get invited to go back to like the land like the Mm -hmm. not the beach area you know but like if you get to go back to like the land and the yeah and stuff and like i've had the awesome privilege of going back there a couple times but like that's one thing that makes polo loose so special is like you don't need any kind of permission to go see anything in the land and like i can't imagine like a housing development down there and so that petition has 880,500 people that have already signed it um opposing any creation of any subdivision on the ridge that petition has been circulating for probably about a year now i signed that petition yeah i think like a year ago already but yeah it's even when you drive up to polo valley there's signs uh, homemade signs all over the road about you know protect polo Yeah. I mean, you know, it's crazy. Like I understand that the world just went through a crisis. I understand that a lot of people, especially with people with means to move out here would like to, because the world's crazy and this place seems a little less crazy, but like, you know, it's really tone deaf to like the issues that the residents have existing here already. (laughs) Um, I want to talk real quick before we get into everything about the nationwide baby formula shortage and the irony that they would now like to overturn overturn Roe versus Wade so that people have to have more babies, but we literally can't feed them as a nation. So irony, right? Fucking ridiculous. The, the, the fact that those are both in the news at the same time is hilarious to me. Wait, what is this about a baby formula shortage? <laughs> There's a nationwide baby sh- formula shortage because they had to, they had to shut down like one of the biggest um, manufacturers companies because of a recall last year. And we are just not producing enough baby formula in this country for babies that are like currently being born every day, (laughs) you know? So like, 
even in the stores here, like if you go into the stores to try to buy baby formula, like people are even, you know, limitation on how much you can buy at once. There's people trying to hoard baby formula. There's people, I mean, like, it's like toilet paper during COVID. Like, you know, people are just fucking like unable to feed their children. It's, you know, the irony, right? The fucking brutal irony of like, yeah, let's overturn fucking Roe versus Wade so that we have more children that we literally cannot feed. Like, That's so crazy. It's fucking wild. Which I don't I don't even understand that. This is so crazy. Yeah, it's fucking yeah. <laughs> I mean, it and it's like been on eh, it's just been in the news like a whole bunch, but Anyway, uh, that takes us pretty well into our topic today. So um, I want to talk about intersectional feminism. I want to talk about what that means. You know, I was I went to the beach with a friend this past weekend, uh, a male friend, and we were hanging out. We were talking, you know, he was talking to me about the podcast and, you know, he was kind of asking me what it's about. And like when intersectional feminism came up, he had no idea what that meant, you know? And I think awesome. a lot of people... <laughs> You know, and he's a great guy, but like, um, I just, I think a lot of people don't know what like those particular words mean in, you know, conjunction with each other. Yeah, I think that's a pretty common thing. So, I mean, uh, it's been around for a really long time in America's history, at least like academically, right? Talking about Mm -hmm. intersectional feminism, but it really gained popularity in the Me Too movement where, you know, we had a lot of people and the Women's March, particularly in 2016 against Donald Trump's like presidency, um, which had people on all seven continents protesting. It was very awesome. And so everyone's out there like, we deserve rights, we deserve rights. And they're like, your rights are different than our rights. And then there became this like divide. And like, so white women didn't really understand like what was happening they're like wait a minute we're all here on the same side what are you saying like we're not out here for the same thing Mm -hmm. and so it kind of brought up these dichotomous feminisms literally feminist ideology so there's hegemonic feminism which is the feminism of like the prioritized class not like the ruling class or anything just they're favored and so this is generally thought of like the when we think of feminism, the, the monolithic term of feminism, like that's what hegemonic feminism is, right? It's white, it's academic, it's middle or upper class. It's those, it's that, that type of feminism. It's feminism in waves, you know, instead of a more accurate representation of feminism as a whole, which still has people arguing for things, just those things may be different or nuanced. And You know, so when we think of feminist writers, especially foundational feminist writers, you know, it's like Simone de Beauvoir. um, That's really the first one that's coming to mind. And, Mm -hmm. you know, intersectional feminism is this framework that acknowledges that um, overlapping identities also play a role in the ways in which people experience oppression and discrimination. So it, Mm -hmm. it takes into account race, ethnicity, gender, gender expression, gender identity, sexual orientation, ability, physical appearance, class, like all of these things that may be seen like phenotypically expressed or like through clothing or dress, but also these things that you can't see. So it it really does take into account 
that you can't separate yourself from all of these things. And so how does that, all of that stuff situate your experience and your, mm-hmm. yeah, especially with like discrimination? Yeah. I mean, it's, so feminism is just a really interesting terminology. And I think the thing that's most interesting about it is how turned off people get as soon as you bring it up, particularly men, but you know, definitely some women too, that for some reason, it's kind of like a four letter word for, you know, and I think it's because this, like the mainstream perception of feminism is like this very like feminazi kind of like radical, like man hating, you know, caricature of feminism. I think because of that, there's this cognitive dissonance for particularly men, some women where they don't understand like what feminism actually means and why it's actually important or like how they could actually be feminists without realizing it dependent on like their value system, right? <laughs> and like how they yeah. personally feel about women because feminism has like this scary connotation to it. The reason I wanted to talk about this in this episode today was to kind of like flush out particularly for any male listeners that we have or any women even who feel like they don't understand exactly what feminism is and so like the what and the why for feminism. And so I have a couple so first I have two thoughts and then I have a question. So my first thought is that feminism, you know, is really a misleading term because it does encompass like both genders like it strives more for well in all genders actually because it strives for equality for all people especially those who have been marginalized and disenfranchised but it does recognize you know just the impact that the the patriarchy has had on on all genders and that that's not good we can get to a better like a better healthier place free hopefully of patriarchy Mm. Um, the second thought is that the example that I give for hegemonic feminism is there's this great scene in The Handmaid's Tale where all of the commander's wives are walking in. They're talking about getting rights taken away. And Serena Joy speaks. And but while they're like walking in, it's just like they're expressing why they need certain freedoms. And those freedoms aren't the freedoms of like the handmaids necessarily. It's or the ants or, you know, the people that work at Jezebel's. It's just their class. And mm-hmm. so that is really like what hegemonic feminism is. It's it's talking about, you know, rights for all people, but it really just represents like the the rights or access to rights and freedoms of one specific group. Sure. And then my question is, well, any thoughts on that before my question? Nope. Uh, I mean, not on my end. Were you a feminist growing up? Would you have considered yourself a feminist? I think that my ideas were always rooted in feminism about like my personal place in the world. But no, I don't think that I actually considered myself a feminist. And this is actually part of the discussion I was having with my friend the other day, but like, I don't think that I considered myself a feminist until like the Trump years where it really became like everybody on every class was being attacked. You know what I mean? Like um, just as long as you were a woman, you were being attacked and like a woman in whatever sense, like a biological woman, a transgender woman, 
So I was not always a feminist, but I think that ever since I started working like towards, I guess my own definition or like building my own persona, like based around like a feminist ideology, I've learned so much more about it that like I highly value, <laughs> you know? But I think like my idea of feminism was a caricature of feminism beforehand, you know? Especially like growing up in the punk rock scene because there were so many quote unquote feminazis, you know what I mean? Where it was just like, whoa, that's intense, dude. Like, you know, I'm not trying, like I'm all for like egalitarianism, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not trying to like, be a man hater either and i think that's the way that i saw feminists until i started you know learning more about it but what is your experience with feminism in that realm oh same i was grown up like deeply entrenched in the patriarchy and like women are evil and you can't trust them and all feminists yeah like they they hate men it is very unclear to me as a kid like or growing up what feminism was except for it was bad but you know who told me it was bad was men <laughs> who didn't understand what feminism was you know and now you know like especially trump and me too i mean like i i became a feminist where i, I acknowledge that i actually was a feminist because uh, like you i also you know, had all those same values and it's really hard to be punk rock actually and not be a feminist, but it's mm -hmm. not presented that way at all. And I think, you know, if we could reframe that, that would be awesome. But I, it was after I started college and I was like, oh, maybe there's something to this. Like I do want equal pay for the work that I do. And I, I do, want, you know, I want things for people. I want things for me, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I don't want to be treated differently because I have a vagina and I think that we should all be treated nicely. And yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. So, and I don't think that we should be harassed on the streets. And like, so when Me Too happened too, right? Me Too did a lot to highlight what is and is not acceptable behavior. But the problem is that the people in power or like even the people in my life, like if, if they before Me Too, like got shut down by women because they were catcalling them or saying things like, hey, baby, your rack is really nice or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, like, of course, they're going to have a negative perception of that and be like, that woman is feminine, like that woman is an evil feminist or whatever, yeah, you know, sure. like... But all she's asking for is to like not be harassed, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> carry on with her day. There's like a few, there's a few things that I want to express here. But first and foremost, I want to express to men why, it, and not just men, some women too, anybody with ideas that the patriarchy like perpetuates, that's the word I'm looking mm, for. And maintains. And maintains are in any way correct. And first and foremost, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what it feels like to be a woman in this world when there are men or people in general who are objectifying you. From personal experience, the way that I try to explain this to my male friends when I feel like they are out of line with things that they are saying are, you will never understand what it's like to have to walk to your car at night with your keys held between your fingers because you are so afraid that somebody might jump out of the dark and 
you know, on a personal level, I'm five feet tall, dude, you know, like, I'm not going to be able to do anything about it. And I'm perfectly aware of that. And I can take, you know, precautions, sure. But like, the fact that I have to take precautions, right? <laughs> like, and so that's how I try to frame it for anybody who doesn't understand the, like, the why for feminism. I feel like there are so many ideologies that are so instilled in humankind about patri- through the patriarchy that we don't even take notice of anymore because they've been around for so long. But like, if you, and I think a lot of women have become comfortable or like complacent in living that way also, which is horrifying. It's kind of like the world is very different for women (laughs) than it is for men or masculine figures. Yeah. Um, It will be nice one day to do interviews with um, some of our friends that have gone through gender reassignment surgery just so they can talk about their different experiences as being both genders. One thing about what you brought up that I think is really important to acknowledge is that in that situation, you know, like that you described about walking to uh, your car with your keys is that it's the responsibility is always on the victim. The responsibility is on the victim to protect themselves, right? What precautions can you take? You can learn martial arts. You can walk to your car with your keys in your hands. You can do all these things. And what happens is that people who have been victims, whether it's random acts of violence, domestic violence, intimate partner violence, any sort of anything, like with the responsibility on the victim, we're... Uh, those victims then have to like limit themselves from their interactions with the world. And really like, how far is that? I mean, like how okay is that? Like that victims have to like not engage in this thing or make sure they don't go out at this time, like, because they don't want to see their abuser or they don't want anything to happen. And like, it's really unfair and it's not okay to have to live like that. And why aren't we instead teaching that it's not okay to do these things? It's not okay to perpetuate acts of violence. It's not okay to attack people in dark alleys, you know, like, why, what is this double standard, you know, and it's, that's, that's one of the things that like, just growing up in the patriarchy, like, you, you are blind to and desensitized to until something happens to you. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm the victim here. Why is it my responsibility then to also, like, uh, yes, up to a certain point, it is up to you. It's your responsibility to keep yourself safe. 100%. But why aren't we punishing the people that are doing these acts of violence or atrocious things? Sure. That totally comes down to like that dumb fucking statement to like slut shaming and like women who wear provocative clothing are asking for it. So if you've ever been under the impression that a woman is wearing (laughs) provocative clothing for attention or for men like you could be right but you could also be very wrong it is entirely up to anybody particular person male female gender fluid however you want to say it to express themselves in the way that they choose to and you assuming that that is done for you 
is fucking weird, dude. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the same way that it's fucking weird to sit there and stare at a girl's ass or, you know what I mean? When it's, it might be fine with her, but it fucking might not be. You don't get to make that judgment call based on what you would like to do with somebody else's fucking body. I think like if you spin it too for a lot of, um, you know, just a lot of males in society, if it was a guy staring at you the way that you were staring at a woman, you would want to beat his ass. That is true of so many of the people around here, you know, and homophobia is still such a big thing in small towns. And so it's like, if you feel that way, imagine what a woman feels like when you're looking at her that way. Not only that, though, it also comes with the idea of, is this guy going to follow me to my car? Mm -hmm. Is this guy going to follow me to the bathroom? What, you know, like, (laughs) I would like to go out to a bar without having to have a contingency plan for rape. You know what I mean? I don't know what that's like. No. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, I do. I would like to know what that is like as well to not have to have that. But like, like you, like I've grown up in the patriarchy and like that is very important. Like it's been instilled in me that it's very important for me to have to protect myself. So Mm. I don't know. I mean, like even now that I'm married and if I'm going out to meet just my, you know, woman friends or whatever like uh even then yeah it's like okay call when you we're in a small town and it can get sketchy after a certain point in time Mm -hmm. especially if there are other events going on you know like you don't know who's gonna show up wasted and just think that whatever is their right or like you know like if you looked at them funny or whatever like so it's always yeah like text text somebody call on the way home i used to like when we lived on Oahu, the mister used to make me take my taser and I was like, I'm too old to get raped. And, and, but one night I went out for cigarettes when I was in Waikiki, I had my taser and I was walking and there was like some sketchy ass people. They did like eye me out. And I was like, like, they like looked me up and down and like said shit to me. And I was just like, I am not too old to get raped. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think the reason why it's such a big thing for me is because I was a server for so long. Most of like my teenage years into my early 20s and then even just up until recently for different kind of serving. But, you know, when I worked in restaurants, particularly um, working night shifts, you know, particularly restaurants with bars in them, it hits a point where... The, you always expect a certain amount of like bullshit or flirtation or like whatever. It comes with a job. People are drinking alcohol. They're going to get loose. They're going to say stupid shit. But like it does hit a point where like, and I have been in this situation lots and lots of times waiting tables at night, particularly where you do feel like, holy shit, like this, this person's paying me too much attention. You know what I mean? Like, too much attention for it to become uncomfortable. And I think that's another really big like keyword that I want to mention here is uncomfortable because women and you know females in this society have become so used to feeling uncomfortable that it's become normal for us. Mm-hmm. And that is unacceptable in this day and age and 
you know, for anybody who doesn't understand why that is, well, <laughs> that, that's just another invisible thing in the, of the patriarchy, like an invisible uh, symptom, basically. You know, it, I think a woman's life is surrounded with so much fear and not even just on like a social level, but like also in relationships, you know, mm-hmm. because the antiquated gender roles, especially in heterosexual relationships and all relationships, I imagine to some extent, but particularly heterosexual relationships are really, you know, they're, they're wrong. <laughs> like, and you're welcome to function in whatever kind of relationship you would like to, but like, I think at some point, like we all have to do enough thought work as women or as like feminine beings to step back and realize like when we're being taken advantage of by somebody or in a way that that person doesn't even realize they're doing it because it's just part of the world these days, you know? Um, I think they call that invisible labors of like being a woman. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. I talk about this all the time. Well, when in, a, in the context of our relationship, we call it the cognitive load. Um, mm-hmm. And it's invisible, invisible labor, or invisible work. Um, and yeah, women are still expected to carry most of it. And, you know, a lot of that does come, especially in, you know, heterosexual relationships, or at least, you know, male, female, it doesn't matter, you know, anyways um (laughs) yes i was just thinking about like being bi in relationships and just um like if the person that you're with you know like ascribes to some sort of traditional gender role or like if there's a a physical difference between you and one can clearly overpower the other there has to be some element of like fear and safety and so usually it's it's for the woman like the woman is generally smaller or whatever the man in those in heteronormative relationships and um you can never i mean like it's really hard it's really hard to believe that your partner will never hurt you especially as someone who has come from a history of like trauma um and abuse you know and if that's perpetuated in, in intimate relationships, like that's, that's not okay. And then even, so, I mean, if we're going to go into abuse, we can talk about the mental and emotional, like verbal, mental, emotional abuse, financial abuse, like all these different Mm -hmm. kinds of abuses that like are also invisible, like that women also have to be aware of. And then like, you have to hope that if you are in a situation where you can talk with your partner about like these things, these ways that you feel wronged or hurt or whatever, that you'll be heard and respected and not like challenged, not shut down, not beaten, like, which is Mm -hmm. totally like all of those are possibilities, you know? And it's just really scary, especially because people don't want to be like, the bad guy you know Mm -hmm. if they don't see themselves in that role it's really hard to take in and so like how you phrase those kinds of conversations has a big like impact on like if you walk away like literally alive (laughs) in in some some instances yeah you know i think one thing that 
typically, or like one thing that I really, really want to highlight in this discussion is being selfless and being a loving partner. It's not equatable to self-sacrifice. Like, I think that is something that a lot of heteronormative relationships experience. I mean, all, all relationships in general, I suppose. Um, but like, you know, women te- typically take on that role or just the more feminine of the two in the relationship typically take on that role where it's like, I will, if I do this, it's, be- it's because I do it out of love. I can, you know, women are expected to be martyrs because they are praised for martyrdom. And um, so it's like, and I think we believe it, you know, because I've been in this situation lots of times. And even now in, you know, my daily life, there's still so many situations that I just take because that's me being a good partner or that's me doing this or that's me doing that. And at a certain point, like I do have to step back and realize that this is just not correct. Like, um, and so like when we talk about like these invisible, like symptoms of patriarchy, things like a really good example, you are planning a holiday party and you know, your partner is eager to help, but they tell you, okay, make me a list of things to do. No, because like, that's still me doing something for you. Yeah, I'm still that's the cognitive load. <laughs> yeah, I'm still shouldering the responsibility for both of us for this thing that we are both engaged in. Uh, I think a lot of people don't realize that that is fucked up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, um, if you need something, tell me. Like... Um, and here we get a little bit like mind reading, like, uh, like mind reading is not something that you can expect someone to do. Mm-hmm. Right. But like you, if, if like, yeah, like if the trash needs to go out, why is that on one person to tell another to take out the trash? You yeah. Know? Yeah. I feel like that's something that I experience a lot in my life, um, with my, with my partner where it's just a constant of like. I need to be this voice. Honestly, like I fucking resent having to be responsible all the time because it is not fair that I should have to run my own business, handle my hobbies, you know, doing this podcast and everything else that I like to do and find enjoyment for myself. And then also make sure that you are on track to take care of your own life. Because if, if I don't do that, then it directly affects me at some point. The house doesn't get clean. Things don't get scheduled. You know what I mean? And so I don't think that, so it's particularly for our male listeners or anybody who might not understand like the why for feminism, like this is what it's like to be a woman on a day-to-day basis. And like, I'm sure that you practice some of these invisible, you know, traits of the patriarchy. Um, And it's just, you know, something to think about. Uh, And it doesn't make you a dick and it doesn't make you, you know, it's just... I think that when we talk about closing gaps, these are the kind of gaps that we're trying to close where it's like women are not trying. I mean, there's all kinds of different feminism. Everybody has is entitled to create their own idea of feminism. In my belief, it's about choice. But I would like to see like equality, particularly, which I think by definition is feminism, but <laughs> it goes in all kinds of directions. <laughs> um, but like, 
if we're working towards equality, then that means that we're both functioning as human beings with the like common sense to get through our own lives. And that doesn't mean that one shoulders some like the other's responsibility for their life, basically. Yeah. I have a couple of thoughts on that. Um, I agree with you. Um, and uh, one thing I do want to say about everyone is entitled to create their own kind of feminism. I'm kind of, I'm almost there, but I do want to say that like anytime your feminism limits the rights and freedoms of someone else, it's not actually feminism. So there's like, totally. there's this whole conservative like feminism movement, but it is all about like, oh, women belong in the home. And this is like the role and rights of women. And like, it's like, no, women um, can be anything they want to be, I believe. Um, and I think that there's, again, still room for you to live your life in the d- traditional gender role that you want to assume under that umbrella. But to enforce that umbrella on everyone is not feminist. It's not equality and it's not cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> The the second thought, which is actually the first one that came up for me, because um, the giving tree is a story of abuse. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I I read it. uh, I worked at the Girl Scouts in Las Vegas, and it was like my my very first student job after I left like my previous life and like I I left an abusive situation and all this kind of stuff and like someone was like you need to read The Giving Tree like it's like my favorite book and I was like cool I've never read it and I read it and was horrified and I was like this is what we're reading to kids because the tree is gendered as a woman and this kid (laughs) just keeps going to her over and over and over again and asking her to give and give and give and give and give until she is just a stump and so like I know that when I'm feeling like the giving tree <laughs> in my relationship there is an un, uh there's a bigger problem at play than actually like what's going on and so it's like okay what is that underlying issue that we need to like work on and um generally it comes down to like these like self values or like fear of abandonment or something um and the final thing is that you know the the mister and i had a couple of rough years when we were working on like cognitive load and what does it mean to be equal in the home and like how can we get to a place where like we both have what we need you know to give each other to help each other feel supported and so that i'm not doing that that thing like you need to do this you need to do that or you know, da, 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 whatever, whatever it is. Like it, it took a long time because he, you know, thought that he was doing a favor by being like, well, if you need something done, just ask me. And it, it is really hard to have those conversations if you don't understand that, like, no, I don't want to have to ask you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, we have gotten to a place where like, where like that is working um, emotional needs are different. Unseen things with a person are different. You can't expect someone to be a mind reader. Like if you're like pissed off about something, you can't expect them, someone else to just know magically what it is mm. they're pissed off about. You know, like you have to actually have that conversation. Like, hey, you did this thing and like, it's kind of not cool. And like, there's all different kinds of ways to preface those conversations. So they don't come off as like super harsh or like 
you know, like angry, like ways to like both of you check your emotions at the door, you know, so that you could just have a conversation about like something that happened. I want to, I want to speak, sorry, real quickly before I lose this thought, I want to speak to what you're talking about with like getting mad about or like reacting to the way that the way that somebody like, you know, who is unintentionally doing this thing that is irritating you, you know, or like, that you're not okay with, like, it, it's creating, like, some inequality. Um, so the funny thing about women or, like, the more feminine side of any relationship really is the fact that we have become so, and this is a patriarchal thing, we have become so comfortable with being uncomfortable in an angry manner that it is far more uncomfortable for us to have those conversations because it is your first instinct is just to be say you fucking asshole do the dishes you know what i mean and like we also need to take responsibility to accept that people are not mind readers or that these things are instilled in them from childhood (laughs) and uh give them a fucking chance to you know at least you know like execute some kind of change on their behalf and if they don't that's a whole other conversation for you guys to have but you know like yeah i think that we need to like remember for ourselves too that getting mad because it's more comfortable to be uncomfortable in anger than it is to be uncomfortable in changing is not the right way to go (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's counterproductive at best (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you said you wanted to talk about intersectional feminism, this isn't the conversation that I imagined that we would have. And I'm just so happy that this is the conversation that we're having just about (laughs) like what it looks like in practice instead of like what it is, what are our traits, you know, like Mm. what are the things that make us intersectional? And so I just find this to be like really like uh, rewarding like conversation I mean, all our conversations to me are always rewarding, (laughs) but like I was, this is a pleasant surprise. Yeah. I mean, what I really wanted to like the conversation I wanted to have today wasn't so much like, ah, we're feminists and this is what feminism is. You know, it was just more like, this is why like identifying as a feminist is, this is what it is. This is what it looks like. And this is why it's important. And like I said, for a lot of male listeners or for a lot of like masculine beings, uh, listeners, like if you didn't understand or felt like you couldn't relate, like hopefully this is more relatable to you on a day to day, you know, kind of like you can recognize this in practice in your own relationships with your own partners or your friends or just even your family members and recognizing like the way that like gender roles are a constant and how they are oppressive to the feminine side and why things like the overturning of Roe versus Wade are a big problem because autonomy is all we want. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Through so many things that we've talked about in feminism, like in this feminist discussion today, it's like, you know, autonomy comes with so many things like not being objectified. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like not feeling fear, not like, like I want to be a whole person just 
just me without like my vagina having to be a caveat on my humanity. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <It's> not funny. <laughs> oh it's not funny (laughs) you can either laugh about it or you can cry about it because it's one or the other (laughs) it's feel something for it though fuck but yeah so anyway um i think that's like a pretty good place to wrap up i think so do you want to talk about the song lyric for today yeah so our song lyrics today are the lyrics that I pulled today are from Lilith Starr and from the song King. And it just says, if it's a man's world, I want to be king. And that's not to put like women's power over men or anything. That's not the reason we chose this song. It's just kind of like, I would like to have <laughs> that chance as well is the way that I'm, you know, interpreting that. Um, I just want the same opportunity that you have, dude, you know? without, like I said, my vagina being a caveat for my existence. I think that's what we all deserve. Yeah. We all deserve to be king or like um, the center of our, we deserve to be the star of our story. No one should be a supporting character in their own life. Yeah. That's a really great way to say that. Cool, dude. Are there any shout outs you want to do today? I uh, didn't even think (laughs) about it. I was so um, wrapped up in other things. I guess, you know, if I'm going to shout out somebody off the top of my head, I would just say, look at the readings um, from Bell Hooks. Uh, She was a really great um, feminist and activist in, well, all through her life. Um, And I learned about her in like this gender and women's studies class that I took. And I just um, was in love with her perspective on power and privilege. And so I think any of her readings, but I'll put something specific up in the show notes. Cause there is one that I'm thinking of about power dynamics and relationships. And then Audre Lord also, if you are interested in exploring more feminist from a feminism, from a, a non white lens yeah that's awesome dude uh i guess i just want to shout out the gets real quick since we were talking about it before the show started um excellent band they're from the seattle area in the 90s and their lead singer mia zapata when we mentioned briefly the mia zapata murder was their lead singer and she was raped and murdered and her killer has never been caught um if you're interested in learning more about her case you can check out the band The Gits or just Google her name, Mia Zapata, uh, spelled Z-A-P-A-T-A. And, um, you know, it'll bring up everything you need to know there. But they're a fucking awesome band. And, um, you know, female punk has a lot of variations. <laughs> they're a particularly good female-fronted punk band. So check them out. Awesome. Cool, dude. Uh, well, uh, is there any band you've been listening to that you want to shout out? Uh, I said last time that I would shout out my favorite album from 2021, which is Wonderful Hell by War on Women. I just uh, really love their sound. Um, I love 
the composition and changes that the band has gone through to like get to the point where wonderful hell is. And I think Shauna Potter is amazing. I, I really appreciate her activism and what she does to bring awareness to like the causes that she's interested in. And so I recommend wonderful hell and I do have a favorite song on that album. Okay. Yeah. My favorite song is demon on that album. Ooh. And that's, right that's a song that has gone through like so many iterations. Like it's like years and years in development to get to that point. It was a different song. And yeah. What about you? Who have you been listening to? Um, this is definitely not new, but I'm going to shout out a band that like I used to listen to when I was like, in high school or not in high school. Cause I didn't go to high school, but when I should have been in high school. Um, and that is streetlight manifesto. And the reason that I shout them out this week for anybody who's interested, if you like that ska punk kind of sound, um, me and one of my best friends in the entire world, uh, Jasmine Wasson grew up listening to this band and they've always been just like this massive, opportunity for positivity when everything's shitty uh their lead singer thomas kaunaki also the lead singer catch 22 is an incredible lyricist but like their lyrics are so positive and this week i've needed some fucking positivity so like if you're like me and you like that ska punk sound also like musicianship wise insane they're like listening to a fucking orchestra but anyway yeah if you guys want some positivity uh Streetlight Manifesto, particularly the album Everything Went Numb, is a super, super great fucking album. And uh, a reason, you know, to just feel a little happier <laughs> in this crazy, crazy world. Yeah, we could all use some happiness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, cool. Well, that was episode 10, guys. Thanks for stopping on by. Yeah. Um- we made our first advertising dollar, so thank you for that. Um, if it was a real dollar, we would hang it on the wall, but it's a virtual dollar. Uh, you can <laughs> engage with us on our Instagram, Out on an Island podcast. You can email us at outonanislandpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And anyway, uh, real quick before we go, we're almost up to 200 followers on our Instagram, guys. And that's fucking crazy. Thank you it's so much. So cool. <laughs> we had no idea that like this was going to be even this big of a thing. And I know that, you know, in the world of podcasts, this is not gigantic. But like for us, it's really big. And we just are really grateful for everybody who, you know, participates. So thank you so much, guys. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good night, everybody.